We want to begin an Easter series um, where we'll be focusing on the events around the death and resurrection of our Lord. Our text today comes from the book of Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. As we contemplate the events of Easter and their significance, I'd like us to remember the person of Jesus. Jesus was an amazing man. The Lord was, an, a, was a wonderful person in every sense of the word. He was gentle, he was kind, he was compassionate, he went about doing good, he was perfect. But then Jesus died. And he didn't just die out of an accident, he was killed. Actually, better put, he was murdered. And the question before us is this, what killed Jesus? Over the next couple of weeks, this Easter, we'd like to consider that question, what killed Jesus? We are sort of acquainted with who killed Jesus, but what killed Jesus? Now, if you are keen, you will have perhaps noticed that the Gospels spend a great amount of time and detail in the last week of Jesus. In this particular gospel that we are reading in the book of Mark, he starts the last week of Jesus in chapter 11, uh, accounting for the last five chapters. So five chapters focus on the last week of Jesus, whereas he has spent only 10 chapters to encapsulate 33 years of his life. If somebody was writing your biography, and they gave... You know, like say that book is what? what how, how long would your biography, you know how many chapters would it have? Depending on how much you have accomplished, I assume. Imagine if the book was say what, 50 chapters? And you lived say 40 years and they put, you know, uh, all the events from 0 to 49. Actually 0 to 40. You know, all the, you know, like maybe up to chapter 5. And then the rest describes some Monday to Sunday. You'd be like, that's a pretty significant week, right? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus constantly reminded his disciples that I have come to die. The reason that the disciples, that the authors of the gospel, spent the most time describing the events that lead up to the death of Jesus is because they understood more than anyone that he came to die. And they know that if you and I don't understand the death of Jesus, we are ill-equipped to understand his life. And if we then don't understand his life, then we cannot understand ours because our lives depend on his. This therefore means that every detail that is given to us in this gospel is of utmost importance. Amongst the details given us, are the sins that the people involved in the death of Jesus committed. And that's what I want us to focus on in these coming weeks. The question, like we said, is what in the world killed Jesus? Why would anyone kill Jesus, a kind, compassionate, good, perfect man? Well, Mark chapter 15 tells us that story. I'll read all the way from verse um, 6, but our verse, our focus will be one verse. So uh, just this is to give us context. So verse 6. Now the feast used 
Now, at the feast, he used to release Pilate. He used to release one of the prisoners for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate as Pilate to do as he usually did for them. Verse 9, and he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Verse 10, for he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. I'm going to read that again. They perceived, he perceived, he, Pilate, perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered Jesus up. Envy. Mark is very sparing with his details. Mark doesn't even tell us the conversation that happened between Jesus and the thieves. But he will not skip this particular detail. He doesn't want to mean words about it. He wants you and I to know that it was because of envy. He didn't say because of envy and some other things. Mm -mm. Envy. It is envy that was amongst the cardinal sins for which our Lord was crucified. It is interesting that Mark uses this particular word here only once in this gospel. And I think he does it to make it stand out. He does it to cause us to see it. There's another time that he sort of used an idiom to mean envy in chapter 7, but this particular word he's used only here because he wants it to stand out. He doesn't want you and I to forget that in the Via Dolorosa, the thing that instigated, that caused our Lord to walk that path of unjust death was the envy of the chief priests. And so today we want to consider the problem of envy. And the first thing I want us to do is to look at the definition of envy. What is it? And secondly, the dangers of envy, why we need to avoid it. Thirdly, the diagnosis for envy, how to design it. And fourthly, the defeat of envy, how to win over it. Firstly, the definition of envy. As we have mentioned earlier, Mark uses this word only once in this gospel and he makes it to stand out. This word means to harbor ill will. It means to harbor ill will or to have spite against somebody else because of their success. Envy basically is sorrow at the success of another. It is experiencing sorrow at the success of another. It is to feel displeasure and ill will at the superiority and perceived superiority of another. To envy is to begrudge another person or resent them because of their possessing something that we desire. Now, for the purposes of this sermon, I will not differentiate between envy and jealousy. I will use them interchangeably even though I know that the dictionaries um, sort of use them, you know, there's a slight difference to each. And then at the same time, I will also not be tackling what the scripture calls godly jealousy, right? Godly jealousy, the good kind of jealousy, the holy kind of jealousy. I get the, the interesting suspicion that not many of us struggle with that particular one. So we shall not be addressing it today. We're looking at envy, the evil of envy. Our text reveals, therefore, that it was distress, 
pain and begrudging the Lord's success that drove the chief priests against him. You see, the first century Jews lived in a culture that esteemed honor far more than we do today. And Jesus had become a big deal and he was greatly respected by the crowds, far more than the priests. And when the priests saw that, they were envious of him. This is what envy is. It is distress at the progress of another. Or even if it is simply distress at the perceived progress of another. In the words of a local YouTube co- comedian, envy is when, is when the progress of another inakuuma, inakuchok, inakuaffect. That's what envy is. As one Dorothy Sayers put it, envy would rather have anybody, rather than have anybody happier than itself, envy would rather see us all miserable together. And if we are being honest, we can begin to see that this is not just a problem that existed in Mark's time. Envy has existed all through history and it affects all spheres of our lives. At the workplace, when we are concerned that she got the promotion that I wanted, she got the pay rise that I desired, he got the corner office that I wanted. How was he made employee of the year? He just joined this company recently. How can he have come up to par with me? We left campus together. Now he drives a better car. He has a better house. He looks like he's happier in his family and marriage. And if I can remember correctly, he wasn't even that smart in school. Envy doesn't just affect us in the workplace, it affects us also in our social gatherings. How could she afford that dress? It doesn't even look good on her. Why is he being given that seat of honor? Envy comes even home to the family where you would think you wouldn't find envy. At the family level. At the nuclear family level. He's my younger brother. How can he be more successful than me? You have sorrow at the progress of your brother or sibling. I hate that I ever have to ask help from him. I will never ask him for help. I would rather die. Or, yeah, yeah, she thinks she is mom's favorite. Ah, she thinks she is dad's favorite. I know the reason Dan doesn't listen to me is because she has money, so they listen to him, or they listen to her. Envy. And you would think that, okay, even to escape all this envy in the world, let's, let's come to church. Let's come to church where we are Christians, holy, set apart for the Lord, where we will not find envy. That's what you would think. Look at our text. It is the chief priests that are full of envy. Envy doesn't spare religious spaces. It comes into the church and it begins to devour one another out of envy. Envy exists in the pulpit. I am tempted every so often, confession is good for the soul, to look at people rejoicing at somebody else's someone and be like, mm, even that someone wasn't all that great. 
right? Or, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure those people really know how to tell apart a good someone from a bad one. Envy finds its way to the pulpit. You will think the pews are spared. No, the pews are not spared. In fact, I've noticed that at this church you have started this spotlight thing. What a ripe opportunity for envy. Right? You know, like, once at this Elijah, what else is this? As people are clapping, you're just uh, you're like, uh, what, what, what did he do? Why are we clapping? This is wasting precious service time. Envy. Envy amongst ministry leaders. They got more sign-ups than we did. They got a better ministry in some ways than we did. Envy continues to ravage even the church. Look where envy is. It is at the center of the murder of Jesus. And this is Mark highlighting to you and I that we are not to treat envy lightly. And so let me cause you to pause at this moment and interrogate your heart. Is, the one, is there anyone whose success or joy or progress or possessions at this moment that is giving you sorrow or pain? Do you typically respond to people's joy, promotion, progress with praise or with spite? Beloved, envy is here at the center of the murder of Jesus. Let us beware of it. Why? Because envy is dangerous. And that leads me to my second point, the danger of envy. The danger of envy. You see, up to this time in our text, Mark has shown us the hostility of the religious elite against Jesus. But it is only now that he makes plain why. He tells us, because they envy him. They envy him. You know, Jesus summarized the, the, the relationship of the religious leaders to him with an illustration that underscores envy. Every time you see the religious leaders up against Jesus, remember this. In Mark chapter 12, for example, the parable is in other places, but in Mark chapter 12, Jesus tells a parable of a vineyard owner. And he says that owner sent uh, tenants. And this happens in the last week of Jesus, so he's really trying to get this across to them. So, and that vineyard owner, you know, he hired some tenants and told them, keep the vineyard for me, I'd like to receive fruit from it. The Bible says that, I mean, Jesus tells them, so after a while, he sent a couple of, of servants, and, uh, one servant, and he says, you know, go get me fruit from the vineyard. The tenants saw the servant, they beat him up, and they sent him back empty-handed. And the master thought, ah, so he sent another servant, and the servant came, and they did the same, they beat him up, and they sent him empty-handed. And the, serv- and the, the owner said, what shall I do? He sent another servant. They went, they beat him up, and they sent him away empty-handed. Then the master thought to himself, hmm, let me send my son, my only son. Perhaps they will respect him. The Bible says that when, those, when the, the tenants saw the son coming, they said to each other, aha, this is the one that will inherit this vineyard when his father is gone. Let us kill him so that it will become our possession. Jesus said, Bible says the Pharisees that were there and the priests, they were angry at him and they wanted to seize him and arrest him and kill him because they knew that he had spoken the parable against them. Because he had spoken the parable against them. And in that parable he emphasized and told us one thing that you can distill from it. The reason they were against the Son of God is because they were envious of him. Envy. How does the parable end? Jesus asked them a question. What do you think the owner will do? He says he will come to that vineyard and he will destroy those tenants and he will give it to others. And from that day they made up their mind they will kill him. 
Do you know what Jesus is telling you? Jesus is telling you and I that envy is first and foremost dangerous because it's a sin against God deserving of destruction and death. See Galatians chapter 5 verse 19 to 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, envy, drunkenness and orgies. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. See Romans chapter 1 from verse 29 to 32. He says, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil and covetousness and malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit. Then he says, they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. Envy is dangerous because it is a sin against the holiness of God. And so to envy others is not just setting yourself up against the one you envy. It is to set up yourself against God himself. And ultimately, like all other sin, it is to work your own destruction and judgment. And you see, envy's danger, again, like all other sin, is that envy provides a foothold in your life for Satan. It provides a foothold in your life for demonic and satanic influences. That's what I mean. You say, how do you know this? James chapter 3 verse 14. If you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast. If you have bitter envy, do not boast. Verse 15. This is not wisdom that comes down from above. It is earthly and spiritual. Not this demonic. You know what James is telling us? James is saying, if you are entertaining and allowing envy and bitterness to thrive in your heart, you are giving Satan a foothold. You are opening up your life to demonic influences. Now, I'm not saying that you are necessarily possessed. But I am saying that you are flirting with Satan. This is akin to you and Satan going like, no, you fast, no, you fast. You are flirting with death and Satan. How do we know this? Now, if you read the book of 1 Samuel chapter 18, you'll actually see this. David was envious of Saul. I'm sorry, Saul was envious of David. You know, David had, had slain Goliath. And the Bible says that when they, when they came in, the women began to sing. You know, you can trace all of, pro, all of David's problems to that phrase. The women began to sing. That's where his problems begin. Saul loved David until the women began Saul has killed his thousands, Saul has killed his thousands, Saul has killed his thousands, Saul has killed his thousands. And Saul was like, yeah, I like, I like how that sounds. And they're like, no, 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 wait for the chorus. But David has killed his tens of thousands. <laughs> and you know how when they are singing, they raise the pitch a little to emphasize. <laughs> the Bible says that at that moment... Saul was angry and envious. And the Bible says in verse 9, I think, that he set an envious, jealous eye on David from that day on. Do you know what the next verse says, verse 10? He says, and an evil spirit rushed upon Saul. Right when he gave up himself to envy, the Bible says an evil spirit rushed upon him. Brothers and sisters, envy is not anything to toy around with. When you are toying with envy, you are opening up your life to demonic influences. 
And the rest of the life of Saul, he would live pursuing David with a murderous pursuit. Envy is dangerous because it entertains Satan. Remember, Satan, envy is his home ground. Don't you see it? Envy is his home ground. What was the cardinal sin of Satan? I know it was pride, but look at it more carefully. What was the cardinal sin of Satan? He said, I will ascend above the throne, the, the stars of God. I will sit on the throne of the Most High God. What does that tell you about his heart? He envied God. He begrudged God's godhood. That was his sin. Envy. And later on, when God bestowed all the gifts that he wanted to take from God, when God freely gave it to man, man became the object of his envy. How do you know? Remember the things he said, I will be like the Most High. How did God make human beings in the image and likeness of himself? What did he say? He says, I will ascend above the the stars of God. That means the angel of God. What does that remind you? The Bible says that angels have been made ministering spirits to those who would be heirs of salvation. What did he say? I will sit upon the throne of God. What did Jesus say? He says, he who overcomes, I will invite to sit together with me on my throne. Everything Satan ever wanted, God freely gave us. The Bible says that is why he went into the garden. To make sure that these people that have gotten the thing that I wanted, I will drag as many of them to hell as I can. Envy. It is the satanic sin. It is the sin of hell. It's not something you toy around with. You see, perhaps unknown to them, the chief priests had opened the door for Satan, and now Satan could actively operate against Jesus through them. And this underscores the last, and danger, the last evil and danger of envy that I want to bring out, that envy doesn't stay alone. Envy is not content to remain as it is. It is not an empty emotion. It grows. You cannot tolerate it. What started with these guys as a subtle dislike for Jesus, they just didn't like him too much. Eventually what they did, they locked him out of the synagogue, which is why Jesus was forced to go preach in the wilderness. They wouldn't let him come into the synagogue. When they noticed he has continued his preaching in the synagogue, they pursued him there, pretending to be nice and just, you know, seekers. You know, tell us about this. Bible tells us their real motive was seeking to trap him. Envy is growing, it's becoming more and more. Later on they would pretend to be, I mean, they would soon enough even stop pretending. They now just outrightly tried to, to battle him. They started calling him names. At one point, they called him a bastard. They said, this one, Kwanza, we know his mother gave birth to him before she was married. They called him a bastard. They called him a demon-possessed. They called him a Samaritan. Now, you might not think that is an insult. It was then. They started to insult him. It has grown. Later on, when they can't take it anymore, they soon meet and plan to plot murder, to kill him. They lie. They hire false witnesses. They arrest him. They release a criminal. And they put to death an innocent man. And Mark understands the reason. Because of envy. Brothers and sisters, James chapter 3 verse 16. He tells us this. For where envy and selfish ambition is, there is disorder and every kind of evil. Envy doesn't stay alone. You cannot tolerate it in your life, beloved. You see, the goal of envy is to see its victim pass from happiness to misery. 
It is to see that the one who is admired and honored is become an object of shame and pity. And it will not stop until it achieves its purpose. This is not the only time that we see this danger of envy. Do you remember the very first homicide in the world? The very first murder? What was the cause? Envy. When Cain envied Abel. We are told in the book of Genesis that the Philistines envied Isaac and they put mud in his wells. The patriarchs, they envied Joseph, their brother, and they plotted to kill, me, to kill him. And time will fail me to talk of Dathan's envy against Moses and Saul against David and Ahab against Naboth and satraps against Daniel. It all always ends the same way. They plot murder. What starts out as envy ends up with an outright plotting of murder. Over three short years... What started as a simple envy had turned to murder for these Pharisees. Brothers and sisters, there are many of us who know stories of people that went to the hospital just because of a headache. And the doctor looked at them and said, I'm so glad you came. This is not a headache. It's a brain tumor. And thank God you came now because it means we have a chance to cut it off. You know what my prayer was as I prepared this message? That in some way God would use this sermon as an X-ray to help you see that that what you have thought is just a headache, is a tumor. And to begin by his grace the journey to cut it out. Brothers and sisters, let us not be found, let it not be found in us that which was the fuel of the murder of our God. Let us not toy with the knife that stabbed the Lord we love. And the question then is, if envy is so evil, why is it so prevalent? Why do we let it into our lives? Why do we allow it to fester? It leads me to my third point, the diagnosis of envy. The diagnosis of envy. The reason we let envy fester is because of this. Envy almost never presents itself as envy. Envy almost never presents itself as envy. It hides. It masquerades as something else. See, I've been a pastor for not so many years now, but I assure you, I've had people confess lust. I've had people confess pride. I've had people confess, you know, anger. I have only once, and I think I'm one of the privileged few, I I have only once ever had someone confess envy. Because envy almost never, ever, ever, presents itself as envy. The uniqueness of envy is that almost no one ever thinks themselves guilty of it. And the few who do never find the courage to confess it. Envy hides. Now our text tells us explicitly, verse 10, tells us very explicitly, for he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. They were envious of him. Now these chief priests... At another point, had a meeting. In John chapter 12, verse 47, you, you do well to, to look at it. Uh, John tells us about this meeting where they actually met and planned and purposed to kill Jesus. They met. So remember, they are alone, just them and a couple of Pharisees in the council. So they are alone. They are not trying to put up a show. They are just themselves. 
John 12, 47. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and they said, what are we going to do? This man performs many signs. This was right after the resurrection of Lazarus. This man is doing so many signs. If we let him continue, everyone will believe in him. The Romans will come and they will take both our place and our nation. They are having this conversation. Then Caiaphas stands up and he says, you know, it's actually better that one man die than the nation perish. Aha. Caiaphas, what a nationalist. You so care for God's people and Israel and the nation. I mean, we can give in to a lesser evil of killing one man than to let all of us perish. Caiaphas has managed to convince himself and together with all the Sanhedrin and the council and the other chief priests that it is out for the good of others. Envy hides itself. They don't meet in that meeting and say, guys, let's be clear here, we're very envious of this guy. How are we going to kill him? No. Envy hides itself. Now, not many of us here struggle with that particular way of uh, hiding itself. Nationalist, you know. Not many of us struggle with that one. So let me give you another one that envy really likes to hide itself under. Justice. I'm just seeking justice. Now this is not to say that everybody who seeks justice is envious, but I assure you, envy many times has presented himself as someone seeking justice. Do you remember Cain and Abel? When Cain came and when, when God accepted the, the sacrifice of Abel and refused the sacrifice of Cain, Cain had an option. He would have gone to Abel and asked him, you know, what did you do differently? What was the state of your heart? How can, you know, I'd, I'd like my sacrifice to be accepted, you know, so that next time mine is better. He could have done that. But the Bible says his face was cast down and he was angry. Why? Because of envy. And God shows up. And you see, what is Cain thinking? God showed up and told Cain, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. What does crouching mean? He's using a predatory term. He's saying that sin is like a tiger and the only way a tiger attacks is it hides itself. It crouches. It goes under. It hides in the bushes. It doesn't just come. Why? Because sin knows. Envy knows if it presents itself as envy, it's too ugly for you to let it to root. So it will come in the form of justice. Cain didn't think he was envious of Abel. He just thought it's unfair. Sin hides itself. Envy hides itself. It hides itself. The patriarchs against Joseph. Do you remember that? Dave, uh, Jacob had given Joseph a, a coat of many colors. And the Bible says they were envious. That's what the Bible says. They were very jealous of their brother. Now, do you think they just went to each other, we are very jealous? No, they must have been speaking to each other and saying things like, Kwani, what has he done? Why does he deserve a coat? Kwani, Kwani why, why weren't we given coats? Why wasn't everybody given coats? Brothers and sisters, beware when envy takes up the voice of justice in your heart because sin is crouching at your door. When you begin asking, what did he do to deserve that promotion? What did he do to get that pay rise? It seems like it's seeking for justice. But it is really envy. 
You know, Dathan, Dathan against Moses, in the book of Numbers chapter 16, verse 3, Numbers 16, 3, but the whole chapter, read the whole chapter at your own time. We are told about how Dathan tried to raise a rebellion against Moses. When you read what he says in verse 3, you will, let's, let's read it. This is what he says. He says, the whole community is holy. So he's, he's telling Moses, Moses, you have no right to be our ruler. So he says, the whole community is holy. Every one of us, the Lord is with us. Why do you set yourself above the Lord's assembly? It looks a lot like he just cares for the people he wants. He is advocating for equal rights. All of us are equal. All of us are okay. Why do you set yourself up? Why is it you who has to offer sacrifices? Why can't I offer sacrifices? It looks like he is fighting for the people. Why can't anybody offer sacrifices? Until you go to the book of Psalms, chapter 106, verse 16, and the Holy Spirit tells us what was happening in Dathan's heart. The Bible says, Dathan envied Moses. But he did not go to Moses and say, Oh, Moses, I really envy you. No, he, he, hide, he hid it in, I'm just fighting for others. Be careful, brothers and sisters, when envy comes into your life and it begins to masquerade as fighting for justice for somebody. Envy hides itself because it's so ugly. The biggest story of envy in the Bible, perhaps, the story of Saul against David. Do you know what Saul convinced himself what was happening? He convinced himself he was fighting for the rights of Jonathan. One day they were having dinner and then David didn't show up for dinner. David had made an arrangement with Jonathan. And he was like, will you tell me what things are like? So they were having dinner and Saul noticed, you know, with concern that David wasn't around. But, you know, he, he just pushed it in a sense. Uh, then the next day they had dinner and David wasn't there. So he asked Jonathan, where, John, where is the son of Jesse? And Jonathan said, well, he traveled a bit to Bethlehem, he's, he's going to come, no big deal. And then Saul looks at Jonathan and he says, you son of a foolish woman. Now, I, I don't know why when men want to abuse their children, they tie it to, to the mother instead of themselves. That's what Saul said to Jonathan. He says, you son of a foolish woman. Don't you know, this is what he said to Jonathan, don't you know that for as long as the son of Jesse lives, you will never be king in Israel. Why are you siding with him? He knew that he had sided with him to get uh, David away. He says, as long as the son of, David, of Jesse lives, you will never be king. In fact, he emphasized, as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, as though there is anywhere else to live. Like, he says, you will never be king. You know what Jonathan said? Jonathan looked at his father and he says, Dad, but, but it's okay. What, what has he done? He will be king. I will be second to him. Ah! The Bible says, Saul took his spear and threw it at Jonathan. If Jonathan was not a warrior with enough wit to miss the thing, it would have killed him. The Bible says he took the spear to kill Jonathan, his own son. That tells you he was never fighting for Jonathan. What was he fighting for? His legacy. Envy hides itself. It's too ugly to rear its head. And that's the reason a lot of people don't think they're guilty of it. And the question before us is, how can we design it? Number one, remember the definition we gave of envy? Sorrow at the joy of others? Here's one way to know. Envy works both ways. It's either sorrow for the joy of others or joy at the sorrow of others. Joy at the sorrow. You know the Bible says mourn with those who mourn. 
and weep with those who mean weep. Envy does the exact opposite. Envy rejoices over those who mourn. And it weeps on account of those who rejoice. That's the number one way to identify envy. Envy prides. Envy takes satisfaction and comfort in the failure of another. Now, if you are like me, you know, some of you are like, oh yeah, I'm not sure I struggle with envy. Well, do you know that thing that, that happens to us when we see some big guy, some figure who used to be big, nee, 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 and uh, for some reason they are, they, are, they are going down? That thing, that thing you, you feel in your heart as you watch the news and hear so-and-so, you're like, ah, even, I always knew they were corrupt. That, that comfort, that, that satisfaction. Somebody is, is, is going down. They were accused of adultery or something or whatever. They, that satisfaction, joy at the failure of others. Envy. That's the first way to know it. Being happy that they broke up. I knew that wasn't going anywhere. I've long suspected it. Being happy that he was fired. Being happy that he was caught in adultery, that Mr. Perfect family. Envy hides. And this is one of the ways to know it. Secondly, envy cannot praise the one it envies. If you have difficulty praising someone, check. Envy can't praise the one it envies. You are unwilling to congratulate them on their appointment. Everybody else has congratulated them except you. You're like, I don't see the big deal. Ah, see people graduate every day. What's so special about this particular graduation? Where Kwanzaa, you don't know life, you go into life. We will, we will congratulate you when you have... Graduation is nothing. Envy cannot congratulate others. Second, thirdly, envy sees no good in the person it envies. Whatever they do, no matter how good they are, envy will never see any good in them. How do we know this? Look at these Pharisees. Every time Jesus did anything, it was bad. It doesn't matter what he did. It was always bad. Did you ever see the Pharisees or the priests happy with Jesus? Nothing. Never. At least Jesus, he dined with them many times. In fact, one day he told the people, yeah, yeah, do what the Pharisees do. That's a compliment. I mean, do what the Pharisees say. That's a compliment. They sit in the seat of Moses. He had something nice to say. He says, don't leave how they live. That's bad. But do what they do. He wasn't envious of them. I mean, do what they, they say. He, he wasn't envious of them. You will never find the Pharisees or the, or the priests saying anything nice about Jesus. Everything he did, they had an evil to attach to it. When many crowds gathered and they went to him, what did the Pharisees say? It's just these ignorant people that don't know the Torah. That's the reason they have gathered to him. If they knew any better, they wouldn't go to him. When he cast out devils, what did they say? He does it by the power of who? Satan. When he did miracles, because they couldn't uh, ignore the miracles, they said, well, we know that uh, God is sovereign, he can do miracles, so you give thanks to God. It's not because of him, it's despite him. 
Nothing he ever did was good for them. Brothers and sisters, one of the ways you can identify envy is if you never see any good in that person. In fact, you have learned to say things. Envy never sees any good in that person. When, when he makes a joke and everybody loves, you go like, mm, it's not even funny. And it's, even, it's especially worse when you actually know it's funny, but you can't laugh. So you're, you're trying to hold in the laughter. You would rather go into a toilet somewhere and just laugh there. Envy. You're like, she's not even beautiful. You look at them and they're wealthy, you're like, mm, it's just inheritance. I mean, if we all started at the same place. Envy. You don't see anything good in others. They make it in business and you're like, ah, they just got a lucky break. You look at their photos on Instagram, mm, filters. <laughs> you see, envy, this is the other thing, how to design envy. Envy hates without cause. It hates without cause. When you read the, a couple of verses later, uh, Pilate asked them, so do I release for you king of the Jews or Barabbas? They said, Barabbas. Then they said, but what do I do with the king of, we asked them, what do I do with the king of the Jews? They said, uh, crucify him. And he asked him, why, what has he done? They said, ah, ah, crucify him. They had no reason. Envy hates without cause. You hate people just because you envy them. There is no cause. You cannot attach a real reason. And Pilate was very smart. You know what Pilate asked them? The reason, Bible tells us, the reason he asked them that question is because he knew that it was because of envy. He asked them, do I release Barabbas or Jesus? Why? Because their accusation about Jesus was this. They had come to him and they had said to him, uh, this guy calls himself Caesar. He calls himself king. Therefore, he's setting himself up against Caesar. He's setting himself up against the, the, the emperor. So this guy is a very likely insurrectionist. He's telling people not to pay taxes. So what are they accusing Jesus of? Insurrection. Right? So Pilate sees that and he says, okay then, uh, do I release Barabbas or, or Jesus? And they say, Barabbas! Proving that they're actually envious. Because if they really cared about insurrection, why release another insurrectionist? And you see, that's the thing about envy. If you're honest enough to interrogate, you might discover that it's envy. But if you're just like these people, cru- crucify him. Why was he fired? I don't care. It's just good that he was fired. That person was just, he just brought a bad atmosphere in this, in this organization. <laughs> Do you have a reason why they need to be fired? No. But you're happy that they were fired. Envy. Here's another thing, and the last one, how to discern envy. Did you note that it was Pilate who saw it? The priests themselves, they, they had convinced themselves it's not envy. But Pilate looked at them and said, it's because of envy. Here's another point. Surround yourself with people that are willing to tell you the truth. Have you ever noticed sometimes it's possible, it's very possible to suspect envy. I mean, if you're there in the meeting, everybody's laughing, but this brother is not laughing, you know, you can find him later after the meeting and say, hey Buddha, that joke was funny. Why are you not laughing? Surround yourself with people that are willing to see your blind spots of envy even when you don't see it yourself. So then the question before us, okay, envy is dangerous, envy hides itself, but can we defeat it emphatically? Yes. 
emphatically yes. The first thing, if we are going to defeat envy, is to be alert. Be alert. Refuse to, to quote it in some other language as justice or, or something. Call sin, sin. Be willing to call it what it is. As ugly as it is. Remember what we said? We are going inside. This is, a, this is a surgery. We have to do an incision. We have to go in deep and careful. We have to cut it out. And that will be painful. I tell you the truth. It will not be easy for you to admit to yourself that you're envious of somebody. But take that pain. No surgery. And there's no anesthetic for this one. No surgery without anesthetic is not painful. But it is good. Be alert. Call sin, sin. Remember, envy hides, and so we cannot fight an enemy that we can't see. So therefore, watch and guard your heart with all diligence. Be particularly watchful when you receive good news about others. Be particularly watchful when you see others succeed where you have failed before. In that moment, be watchful. Be watchful when there was an organizational transfer and you were given a different department and the other person got to the department that you really liked and you are always there. Be watchful. If two years down the line somebody comes and tells you, you know that department that you left two years ago? Man, it's flourishing. Let me tell you, at that point, Satan is crouching at your door. He is waiting for you. The Bible says overcome evil with good. You know what you ought to do at that point to fight envy, to struggle, to strangle it? Oh, you've got to be, oh, great, amazing. Where is the guy? How can I buy them coffee? What can I do to support? Be quick and be alert. Oh, be alert when the converse happens. When you are told that department you left two years ago, man, it has gone so low, uh, it doesn't even work, nothing is happening there. Be watchful for that satisfaction that might be coming up in your heart and be like, hmm, I always knew it. <laughs> Envy. Be watchful of that. Be alert. Call sin, sin. For me, the biggest example is the example of David. When David had been pursued by Saul almost all his... David missed his teenage years because of Saul. He was always running away. He could not enjoy his youth. He had to run away because Saul was pursuing him. Many years later, Saul died. Some guy, an Amorite, he came and told... An Amalekite, sorry. He found out where David was and he came and told him, My Lord, you will not believe what happened. Saul is dead. Saul is dead. The Bible says, David tore his robes and they all wept from morning till evening. The young man was very confused. David wept and he penned one of the most beautiful songs of scripture. He wrote it down and he says, Oh, oh, Saul, oh, Saul. He says, look at how he has been slain upon the mountains of Gilboa as though he had not been anointed with with, with oil. He says, Saul and Jonathan were lovely together. He called Saul the cover of Israel in that song. 
And he began immediately to say, tell it not in Ashkelon. Tell it not in the streets of Gath. Gath is where Goliath had been defeated. David says, keep this thing in-house. Let them not know that the Lord's anointed has perished like a common criminal. David wept. That's how you defeat envy. When you receive news and you see something trying to rise, do the right thing. Overcome evil with good. Call it sin. Secondly, know the truth. Know the truth. How do you defeat envy? You have to know the truth. There is a fundamental lie that you and I have to believe in order for us to be envious. A fundamental lie. Here is what that lie is. You have something I deserve. I deserve it and you don't. That's the only, that's the fundamental lie that you have to believe. This Jesus, what, an, what a wonderful person. What a, an, an unenvious person. Jesus was never envious in his life at all. When he grew up, he didn't grow up, grow up in privilege. Remember, his parents were poor. That's the reason they came with a dove uh, during his dedication. With the pigeons, I mean. He, they were poor. They were not well off. He grew up seeing guys wealthy. We never get the feeling that he was envious of anybody. When he became mighty and great in ministry, you know what he told his apostles? He says, when I am gone, you will do greater things than me. He, he was happy that people would surpass him. An envious son of God. How did Jesus have that mindset? Find him in the, in the, in the, in the court of Pilate. John is the one that tells us this story better. When, when, when Pilate, you know, Pilate was asking Jesus. He was amazed that Jesus was silent. He says, ah, don't you know that I have the power to release you or to put you to death? Wouldn't you say something to help yourself? Jesus looked at him finally and responded and said, you have no power over me except that which has been given to you by my father from heaven. What is Jesus teaching us? That's the attitude we need to have over every single person. You cannot have envy with that attitude. Nothing you have has really is from God. John the Baptist saved, faced the same temptations that, that the Pharisees were facing. But John did not succumb. When, when uh, you know, John had become a big deal. Everybody was going to the wilderness to see him. Crowds were gathering around him. Um, Jesus, again, when, when John's ministry was flourishing, see the unenviousness of Jesus. He went to, jo to John and he says, no, you, you baptize me. And even John was like, I mean, I should be baptized by you. He wasn't afraid. Anyway, later on, Jesus also, with his disciples, the disciples started to baptize people, and people came and told John. It says, John, his disciples, they came and told him, and instigators of envy will always be there. You will find them. They came and told John, John, ah, he says, this brother you just introduced to ministry recently, he's now surpassed you. He is baptizing so many people, and everyone has gone to him. Instead of John saying, ah, 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 we shall know who is the Baptist in this town. <laughs> ah, ah, Lord, me I called dibs on baptism. You can preach those things. Baptism is mine. You know what John said? John said, he says, a man can receive nothing except it is given to him from heaven. That's what he told him. He says, why should I be envious? If he has it, it's because it's God who has given it to him. To make this point, you know, Jesus told a parable in Matthew chapter 20. He told a parable about a man who had a vineyard. And he hired people to work in the vineyard over, you know, some in the morning, some in the noontime, some in the evening, and late, later in the 11th hour, the scripture says. 
And then the Bible says that, uh, you know, he had agreed with them the amount he would pay them. So at the end, he started paying them each the amount. And then he paid the same amount to the guys who had, you know, worked at the end and the guys who had worked at the, from the beginning. And the guys who had worked from the beginning were very angry. And they said, how dare you? And the Lord, the, the, the master who represents God in this question, asked them a very interesting question. He says, are you envious because I am generous? He says, didn't we agree with you one denarii? Yes, I also agreed with them one denarii. Is your envy because of my generosity? Do you know that's how God looks at us? The Bible says every good gift comes from God. James chapter 1 verse 17, every good gift comes from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7, he says that what have you that you have not received? He says, and if you have received, why do you boast? The converse is also true. If everybody, what they have received, what they have is what they have received, why are you envious against them? You are begrudging God's generosity. When you remove God from the picture, you enter into envy. How do you come out of envy? Put God back into the picture. Be willing to say, your sermon is no more better than me, except that which God has given you. Be willing to say, your body is no more better than mine, except that which God has given you. Your family is no more better than mine, except that which God has given you. Now, I know how sin works. It will use that statement to, <laughs> to make it a sin thing. Even, even it's not you, it's God who gave you. <laughs> That's not the point we are making. That would beat the point of the sermon. Right? He says, learn to recognize that he's from God. And every time you're envious against somebody, the truth is that you are begrudging God. And you're unable to enjoy the gifts that God has given you. Why? Because you're so busy envying the ones he has given others. You know, of all the, the, the Asians used to have a list they call the seven deadly sins. Of all the seven deadly sins, envy is the worst. Because at least the other ones, you can enjoy them for some time. Lust is enjoyable for a, for a period of time. Gluttony can be a very enjoyable as you begin. <laughs> envy is the one that it just rots your bones. It is just you are sorrowful, you are sad, you are angry, and the people you envy rarely even know you're envious of them. It's rotting your bones. It is destroying your life. It is bringing problems in your relationships. Far. Let it be far from you. The questions of envy. Rest in the wisdom of God in distributing his gifts as he has. Now we know that his recipients are not perfect, but neither are you. Learn to say, as we have said, the other way to discern envy is this. Don't compare yourself with others. First Corinthians, Second Corinthians 10, 12, he says they are unwise who compare themselves with themselves. Don't compare yourself with others. Instead of constantly looking around, you know, at what point did they build a house? At what point did they, you know, get married? At what point did they... You're, all, you're not running, you can't even run your race because you're just, you're looking everywhere but the race that God has given you and you wonder why you will receive a small crown because you didn't finish your race. Why? You are so careful about what everybody else's race looked like. The Bible says, strive to receive a full reward, not the best reward. There is no best reward. It's only a full reward. In other words, the reward that you should get, that's it. 
Does it matter that they got married at this point? Does it matter that they got a job at this point? Run your own race. And lastly, cultivate a real relationship with Jesus. Cultivate a real relationship with Jesus. What do I mean? Look at the people in our text. Who are these guys that are infested with envy? The chief priests. There was no more religious people in this day than these guys. These guys have prayed in the morning. They have fasted. They have given of their tithes. They have gone to the temple and come back. They have preached. They have done all those ceremonial things. And yet the Bible says their hearts are full of envy. Religion never washed a man's heart. It is only the gospel that washes your heart and my heart. Jesus Christ died in the hands of envious men so that he might deliver men from the same envy that nailed him to that cross. Like we said, those who envy deserve to die. But how come you and I are not dead? Because Jesus Christ paid the price. Jesus Christ took upon himself our envies and our sin and our ugliness. He paid the ultimate price for envy. I told you that envy at the bottom of it is that, 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 that lie that I deserve something I'm not getting. Brothers and sisters, the greatest cure of envy is the cross. And this is why we are talking about this during Easter, to see the sins that nailed Jesus to the cross, but in the same time to see the sins he died for. And when you see Jesus at the cross, then you remember this. Remember, the Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, that there was no beauty in him that we should desire him. There was no beauty in Jesus. When you looked at the cross, there was nothing beautiful in him. The Bible says right here in the Gospel of Mark, a few verses later, he says that everybody mocked him, they spat on him, they reviled him. They was like, this is nothing. This is ugliness. But that's just the message. They didn't know that while they sneered at him, they were really sneering at themselves. Because what Jesus is getting at the cross is not what Jesus deserves. It is what you and I deserve. You think somebody else got something you deserve? Look at the cross to see what you deserve. At the cross, Jesus was so ugly, so defiled, so unrighteous because he had taken his, our sins upon him. He had been our sins upon him. He had been made sin for us. The Bible says even God, with all his patience and love, could not stand to look upon him. You know, the Bible says in the book of Genesis chapter 6 that God regretted that he had made man. Do you think that somewhere along the way humanity improved? Do you think that we are a far better generation than the generation in Genesis 6? Do you think God took a chill pill at some point and was like, now I no longer regret? The Bible tells us the reason why he regretted making man because all the thoughts of his heart were continually wicked and that has only increased over the ages. If you want to know what you deserve, you deserve, you and I deserve divine regret. But that's what Jesus took upon the cross. Upon the cross, he took all the wrath of God, all the divine regret of God. You know what makes us ugly before God? It is sin. 
That's the reason Jesus was ugly on the cross. How do we know this? Remember Lucifer, his cardinal sin of envy? The Bible says you were perfect in your beauty until iniquity was found in you. And Jesus too. The Bible says he was the desire of nations. You and I were the scum of earth. But on the cross, the divine exchange happens. He becomes the scum of earth so that you and I would be desirable before God. So much so that God can look at you and I in Christ Jesus and say, you are the apple of my eye. It is not because you are no longer envious. No, it is because your envy was crucified on Jesus. And that's the reason why none of us is strutting into heaven and be like, ah, God, see what a great life I lived. No, all of us will get there and we'll put our crowns at his feet and we'll say, none of us deserve to be here. All of us lived lives of envy. But thanks be to God for the cross. Because the cross is what saves you and I. The cross is what has nailed envy completely. The cross is what has secured your victory and my victory. That's the reason we can attempt and live a victorious life free of envy. Why? Because the Bible says because of the sacrifice of the cross, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. I mean, Paul tells us that sin shall no longer have dominion over you, You don't have to give in to envy because of the unenvious love of God at the cross of Christ. And this is what Easter is all about. It is about going to the cross and kneeling before Jesus and saying, Oh Lord, I have been envious, but I thank you that you have died even for my envy. And I receive your mercy and your forgiveness and I repent. And I dare not toy around with a knife that stabbed your heart. From this day henceforth, I will fight envy with everything that I am. But I know I am imperfect. And if I should give in and I'm tempted and I fall, I will remember the blood that flows at Calvary. And I will not walk in condemnation because I know you loved me not because I was an envious. You loved me because you took upon yourself my envy so that I should be righteous before my God. The Bible says that in Christ Jesus, we, deserve, we have been given everything, and yet we deserved nothing. Saint, do not continue in that which was the instrument of the murder of Christ. Envy. Will you show contempt to the sacrifice of God? But unbeliever, you have sinned against God. And by his just decree, you and I deserve death. If Christians will seldom be saved and turn to God, if God is as strict as this with saints when he warns us about envy, what do you think will be your portion? If you do not today run to the foot of the cross and find mercy, for he is willing to forgive, trust and lean on Jesus the unenvious son of the living God, because the Lord God bids you and I come. May the Lord bless you and keep you.